As we are all pa very painfully aware, this pandemic has affected all of us in a variety of ways. And for our children, the school year was absolutely overwhelming. Welcome to episode one of the Downright Capable podcast. I'm Brian Herndon, and I'm here with my co-host, Marla Morasco. During the 2020-2021 school year, many school districts offered in-person learning and virtual learning, as well as a combination of both of those. Marla and I each made some very tough decisions for that school year regarding the education of our boys. And in today's episode, we're gonna be sharing each of our son's school experience from the last school year, as we both made different decisions for our boys. Marla, how was Jacob's school year last year? Well, Brian, like everyone, last year was difficult for all of us. But after much discussion, my husband and I decided that it would be the best thing for my son to homeschool. We felt that it would be too disruptive for him to do his classes via Zoom the entire school year, as we were not comfortable with having him attend in person. So I did go through the process of filing uh, for homeschooling with our school district. And I have to be honest with you, I have no educational experience besides what I do as a parent on a day-to-day -day basis. So now I was tasked with creating assignments and finding a curriculum based on what the school was teaching. And if you have ever homeschooled, finding a curriculum that I could teach and my son could understand was not an easy task, but I was able to adapt and modify things. And of course we made it work. Although it was hard at times, I loved being home with him. I got to not only see him grow confident and more mature, but he came more independent on the computer and with his schedule. He began to feel more comfortable with technology and with the help of a reading tutor, his reading level went up about a level and a half. And we just had more freedom to enjoy spending time together, which I absolutely loved. We also got Jacob involved and still is involved in an inclusive gym. And it just gave us the opportunity just to get up and move around since we were all stuck at home and behind computers. And I just love it to see how strong and determined he became. How was last year for Nate? Well, Marla, before I jump into that, I think that's fantastic that it, it went well for you guys. I know um, I'll talk about this in a few minutes, but homeschooling is hard. It, it is. is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it is not for the faint of heart. That it is, is true. true. Yeah, yeah. And I think we could probably all say we, um, you know, we, 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 I've, I've heard people joke about the, uh, the pandemic or no, the, uh, the quarantine 15. Yes. Um, you know, because we all sat around and watched Netflix all day. Yeah. So it's that good to shut up and, 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 and we're moving. I think that's I think, fantastic. I think it was just better for our overall mental health, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If, if we're stuck inside, yeah, our mental health, it's, it's going to suffer. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, as you know, Marla, we have four children and I'm a professor and my wife is an occupational therapist. Um, thankfully, my university allowed us to be flexible when it came uh, to our office hours. Um, we did have in-person learning um, at my university, but our office hours um, could be uh, flexible, meaning that I could host office hours virtually from home. In fact, my university actually encouraged us to do that. My wife is an occupational therapist, like I said, and she only works part-time. So we felt we had a flexible enough schedule um, and we were taking COVID very seriously. So we made the decision that all four of our children would enroll in the district's, our school district's virtual academy. And being a special education professor and a former elementary uh, school teacher, um, I, I felt confident that we could make this work. 
And I say that kind of tongue in cheek because uh, we, we took a little turn later. But, uh, <laughs> but I also understood that, you know, my son was still covered under IDEA, even though he was being um, schooled through the school district's virtual academy. And that the school district still had an ob obligation to provide a free appropriate public education for my son. So we met uh, virtually, of course, to have his IEP and we discussed what virtual learning would look like for him. Um, and I have to say our school district really did a great job. It was, um, they, they really um, did a nice job with my son and, and making sure he had services. Um, he had speech therapy twice a week for 30 minutes. Um, he had occupational therapy once a week for 30 minutes. And then he had special education academic services once a day for 30 minutes. And that was all done through Zoom. And though it's not optimal to do all those things through Zoom, um, that's what we had and that's what we did. Um, each of these professionals provided those services and um, it obviously required us to be uh, available to my son so that we could support him. Because as you know, sitting in a computer for 30 minutes can be a little challenging for people to pay attention for that amount of time. It's so challenging it was all, for all of us, Brian. <laughs> I think it's a challenging for us as adults. Absolutely. Um, and so it was good for us to be there and just to, you know, kind of use that dad voice or that mom voice and Nate, you need to focus on your, your work or pay attention to your, your therapist or whatever. Um, but I do have to tell you, Marla, it, it went very well as far as the technology was concerned. We were blessed to have good Wi-Fi, even though four kids are on computers, plus I was as well teaching sometimes. Um, the teachers uh, working with my son, et cetera, all of that went really well. What we were not prepared for was the curriculum for the virtual academy. It was very different from the curriculum that the students at the brick and mortar school were learning from. And it was actually much more challenging, honestly. Um, and there was a whole lot more independent work that was required of those students, of the virtual students. My other three children even struggled with this format as well. And honestly, my wife and I were getting pretty frustrated by all of this and trying to keep up with our own work schedules, even though there was flexibility, um, it was a lot, as I'm sure that each and every parent in this entire country could probably attest uh, to work full-time, to support your children in virtual learning, um, especially with a son who has special needs. So after a lot of thought and discussion, and I wanna say we gave it the, we, we gave it the good college try for about eight weeks or so, we made the tough decision to send our children back to the brick and mortar uh, school. Our district did have a mask requirement at that time, and we were very thankful for that. Um, so we felt comfortable with the decision. We, we saw that the, the cases of COVID weren't, weren't too high in our district, though um, at times people would have to be quarantined. Um, it did make our lives a lot less stressful, uh, to be honest, as far as trying to navigate our own work schedules as well as um, schooling from home um, with our four children. Um, we did have to quarantine from time to time because our children were exposed to COVID at school. Um, and so they would have to pivot to online learning, which I differentiate between virtual learning and online learning. Um, that was a little bit different from our virtual academy. The online learning meant that the children were doing the same work as the students in the brick and mortar school. They were just using Google Classroom. And so we would have to make adjustments when they were quarantined obviously with you know work schedules, things like that. Um, our youngest daughter and my wife did have COVID in, in late January, early, fe early February, February, can't talk. Um, but uh, so we all had to quarantine as my wife and daughter isolated actually separately from us in a space in our home. So that was challenging, um, but thankfully they both had a full recovery. 
Um, but other than a few hiccups along the way with the quarantines, we were able to finish a school year in a good place. And our son Nate did uh, much better in the school environment, the brick and mortar environment than he actually did in the virtual academy. And so we were happy with our decision to send our children, um, especially Nate back to the brick and mortar school. Yeah, um, well, first I'm, I'm glad that your, your wife and your daughter have fully recovered from, from COVID. I mean, I know that could be scary just in and of itself, but you know, just listening to you, it just made me think, think about why I think we chose for that reason to homeschool because it just seemed to be too much of the back and forth, we're on, we're off, we're on, we're off. And I, I just think for my son, it was just a better decision. So it wasn't so disruptive for him. And it was um, challenging, even when we had, even when we sent them back and at times, you know, we would have one at home schooling, you know, doing the online learning, or sometimes we'd have two. And, and so you're right, it, the back and forth did, um, did weigh on us a little bit. You're right. Yeah, I'm sure. I think, you know, in turn, though, too, you know, one thing I did notice with my son being home, although we enjoyed just that it was a little bit more of a smoother, consistent routine. He did miss his friends. He did miss the social um, aspect of being in school. But, you know, again, how much socialization did the kids truly get when they're six feet apart and they're wearing masks? So I think, yeah, you know, absolutely. in hindsight, you know, we, we figured that at this point, we will figure that out through other activities. Um, like I had mentioned to you in passing that, you know, Jacob was part of the team impact and a member of the Boston College swim team. And although all of that stuff was done virtually too, it gave him that aspect of being social. So yeah. although he technically wasn't in school, I think we, we, we were able to compensate um, in other ways for him. Yeah, um, and that social, that social aspect, Mar Marlo, sorry, um, that social aspect I think is a really big deal. I know all, all four of my kids kind of lamented, you know, missing their friends, things like that. And we had a small group of friends that we felt comfortable being around. But, um, but that was definitely something that I feel like our kids missed um, for sure. And I think it's something that just weighed heavy on everybody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, Brad, I just, I wanted to bring this up because I think this is important is that for those families that either homeschooled or did like virtual learning last year, you need to know that you need to share that data with your child's IEP team um, because your, your school may not have enough data currently to create appropriate IEP goals this year, or not even have enough information about your student where their current performance levels are. So it's important that families know that you need to share what you saw with your child last year, how they learned, what was hard for them, and what was easy for them. You know, I just looked back through some of the pictures that I took um, of my son during homeschooling last year, and I actually sent them to my son's teacher. I just did that today because I wanted him to see how Jacob attended his assignments, you know, what worked for him just to share a little bit of what we used last year during homeschooling. I don't know if you're familiar with the program brain pop, but it was a very big popular program for yes. um, our school district. And it really, really helped, especially in the science area and history. So because it was so familiar with my son, I kind of stuck with that program. But I, I did have to go and look for other things to supplement um, what, what I was teaching per the homeschooling curriculum. So what I did find is there's a platform called Get Epic that was actually a very great online platform for reading books. And it's books of interest or it could be academic related. So that was a really great program. Um, even if it, you're not homeschooling, if you just want your kids to continue reading, um, 
that's a nice way to do it is is called get epic epic absolutely yeah we've actually used that as well and yeah. it, there's there's a lot of great great stories on there yeah there really is i think you know once you start bouncing around google especially at that time there's become a lot more things available to us that we absolutely. probably don't know about um as well as we used quizlet i'm not sure if you're familiar with that but that was mm -hmm. a really great great way for us um, to have him learn vocabulary. So with that said, I actually brought that to his teacher today as well. Just when it starts to, um, you know, break down vocabulary and stuff, Quizlet was a really interesting way because again, it was online. It was kind of interactive. You turn the, mm -hmm. you turn the flashcard over and then it, it gives you the description. So he actually yeah. really enjoyed that as well, as well as co-writer. I think you and I have talked about this, um, in the past, but very, amazing program, um, especially because I think we're doing away with handwriting, right? Yeah, we're, we're, there's we're a lot of, yeah. Right, we're typing and, and everything is all in line and it is what it is. So we had to figure out a program that my son could actually utilize and start creating sentences and start getting his thoughts out on paper or on computer. And co-writer was the best and easiest way. And actually his reading tutor actually introduced that to us so much that he was doing very well in it that I brought it to the school. And now the school has purchased a program for him and it's called awesome. co-writer. Yeah. Awesome. So they've purchased a license for him to utilize in school. Well, that's wonderful. And, and we know that, you know, um, a lot of kiddos with Down syndrome um, have fine motor concerns and holding that pencil and putting it on paper oh, yeah. just can be taxing. You know, it well, can wear your hands out. And so that and even, awesome. you know, when we do text to speech, I mean, you know, some right. of our kids are not, you know, it's hard for them to enunciate and, and for the system to actually be able to understand them. Absolutely. So text to speech can be difficult. So this was um, it's kind of like predictive text like we have on our, our phones. So yeah, you can even wonderful. establish um, different dictionaries and so forth. So co-writer is something that I highly suggest that parents look at for their kids um, to introduce it to the schools to see if they can get it for their children because I I think it's something that's going to help in the long run. So um, the last big thing that I think is important is, you know, again, that we have to share the data that we observed with the team. Um, don't you agree with that, Brian? Absolutely, Marla. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I actually, so I, I alluded to this earlier. Um, I, I homeschooled my son during second grade. And if you follow Downright Capable, I'm sure you've heard me talk about that. Um, so I won't go into, into all the reasons behind that, but um, we felt it was kind of necessary. And then um, when we had the IEP meeting for him to go back uh, to the public school in third grade, I was the teacher of record. And honestly, um, the data that I had um, and, and all the information, and I wasn't, I mean, I, I, I'm a teacher, you know, so I knew what I was doing. And things. So I was pre presenting a, a really accurate, view of what my son could do as far as his academics and <clears throat> the school district that we were in at the time really favored self-contained classrooms for for people with down syndrome unfortunately yeah. um and um the team found absolutely no reason for him to be in a self-contained classroom um uh during that iep meeting um and he he had been in a uh, self-contained classroom in first grade and, and it just didn't go well but he ended up in third grade being in general education classroom 97% of his day and with supplementary aids and services brought to him in the classroom. It was actually a very successful school year. 
Um, in fact, I, I was doing a graduate, um, even after my doctorate, I was doing more education because I guess I'm addicted to that. Um, <laughs> but I was taking, <laughs> I'm a teacher. It's what I do. <clears throat> but um, I was taking a course and one of the things required me was, you know, I had to do some interviews of, of different teachers and stuff. And so I interviewed his team. And one of the th things they said to me at the end of the school year, they said, if we can do this for Nate, we should be doing it for every child. And that to me was gold. Absolutely. Um, so uh, yes, uh, if you find yourself in a situation where you're homeschooling your child or you have them enrolled in a virtual school and you're able to see some of the work they're doing, the behaviors and how they work best and what's challenging for them, I think it's absolutely important that you provide that valuable data, both the numerical data, we call that quantitative data, and the story data, that's the qualitative data, uh, for your child's IEP team. This kind of data, both of those kinds of data, are very helpful in helping to ensure that your child receives a quality education that matches his or her needs. And if you don't feel that the information your IEP team has on your child right now is accurate or up to date, then you as an equal member, remember you're an equal member of that IEP team, you can ask for a meeting and discuss that information. Marla, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. So know that, you know, like Brian said, you can ask for um, an IEP early. You can actually ask for school assessments at any time. I know they're probably going to balk you because they're going to say that, you know, we need to do it during the triannual meeting. But I want you to know that it doesn't hurt to ask. Now, you may not get an in-depth assessment, but know that they know that you're curious about what they're doing and where your child's performance is at. And I think it's just important for your child's IEP to get a baseline. I think it's important every year uh, for a child, you know, for a team to actually get a child's IEP. I don't even know what I'm saying. I think it's important that the IEP team get a baseline on your child every year. I don't think you have to wait every three, year, three years to do that. Um, you know, because for my son, he wasn't in school last year for an entire year. So the IEP goals are no longer relevant. Well, you know, maybe a few of them are, but we asked right when school started that we wanted assessments to be done earlier so that we can write current and effective IEP goals because the IEP that he currently is on file is not relevant anymore. Yeah. And also know that you should make sure that previous teachers are sharing important information relevant to your child with their new teacher. We assume this is actually happening and things are carrying over, but with the way teachers have been um, retiring and new teachers are coming in, honestly, data is, data is getting lost. Just know it that's is. the fact, data is getting lost. Yeah. So just know that you have the ability to ask for assessments. You can ask for meetings. And I think that's just important. Like Brian said, you are an equal member of the IEP team and those are your rights. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I, I've never done this before, Marla, but I, I can't help but think that, you know, if, if there hasn't been that conversation between last year's teachers and this year's teachers, that maybe it might be a good idea to have a, have a meeting and, and to invite one of those teachers, you know, I, I know it's hard to schedule everything and, but to invite one of those old teachers in and the new teacher to, to help inform and give that information that will be helpful um, so that your child has a successful school year, this current school year. Yeah. And actually to, to, to piggyback off that, Brian, you know, like, like we just got done saying we homeschooled. And so we brought a reading tutor in um, last year for my son um, because 
I wasn't going to approach reading. I just, that was not in my wheelhouse. So I didn't want to mess up. And, and I figured, you know what, let's just bring the professional in, which I am happy we did because I think I had mentioned, you know, his reading level went up about like a level and a half and or yeah. a, grade and a, a grade and a half. And um, so the point of it is, is that that is an outside consultant. And now that mm-hmm. my son is in school, I made it sure that her data was, you know, transferred over to the school that they had access to. I asked her to write a pretty lengthy report for me and um, transfer that over to the school. And so with that said, if you have any outside consultants that are educating your child in any way, know that you can have the, that information and that data from those outside consultants brought to the school, whether you probably have to sign off a form so that the school can contact them, but know that that data is just equally as important as whatever the school is doing. It's very relevant. And especially, you know, like you said, you had a a reading tutor, that information is going to be absolutely imperative and valuable for that current team, this new team that your, your son's working with in order to, to write effective goals, like you said. Right. Um, if they don't have that data, then then they're writing goals off of stuff that is old and and not really relevant anymore. Right. And unfortunately, I think we all know that probably data is not favoring growth <laughs> for a lot right. of our kids. But you know yeah. what? It is reality. And I think that's just something that the schools really need to just, you know, realize that a lot of kids regressed last yeah. year. Yeah, you it know, was a as hard best year. as we tried, as best as we tried, a lot of the kids regressed, and yeah. you know, um, at, at no fault to 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 people. I mean, it just no. it just happened. It, it happened just, for it typical is, kids. Right? It you know, um, but now we need to pick up. Now we need to take yeah. that data and just okay. Now we have some data. Let's just get it going again. Let's yeah. get it back to well, where and, it needs to be. And to your point, Marla. So I, I mentioned I'm a professor and. And I, I go into to, uh, the area of public schools with my student teaching candidates, things like that. And there's constant talk of, of you know, well, this, I'm in a second grade classroom, but the kids are really struggling with reading. Is that normal? So my students will ask these questions and I'll say, well, you have to remember their kindergarten year was interrupted and their first year grade year was virtual. So yep. their second grade year, they're going to be struggling readers. So, so that's the case for everybody to yep. your point. Um, and so the more data we can have, um, the better we can make um, really good goals so that hopefully we can start to get everyone back on track exactly, um, and, and, um, and try to recover um, from the learning loss that, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, so that's kind of where we're at. And, you know, I think, you know, at this point, like Brian said, we're, we're just, we're just going to move on because um, yeah. it, it, I don't want to say, it, I know we all say it was a wasted year, Actually, it was, I, I look at it as it, we learned a lot, you know, we, we learned, if, if you look at it in a positive way, we learned a lot. We learned about a lot about what our kids can and cannot do. And, um, you know, we just got to take that good and, mm-hmm. and like Ryan said, move on. So yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm happy you all were here with us today. Um, we are excited to see you on our next episode when we will when we will be discussing extracurricular activities and electives and how to make them successful for your child so that they can be a part of the school environment during and after school. And I'm excited to talk about that. That'll be wonderful. Hey, if you uh, you like what you hear, uh, please make sure you give us a review and download the episodes as this will really help get our podcast out to the world. 
um, has something to do with all the algorithms and all that. So please give us a great review, download the episodes, and um, also make sure to hit uh, subscribe because we don't want you to miss out on anything. I know I listen to podcasts constantly and I check my phone, you know, what's the latest show? When's it been updated? And, and some of those that haven't been updated in a while, I keep thinking, man, I want them to update it. So, um, so yeah, make sure you subscribe uh, to our podcast, our, our podcast, there we go. So you don't miss out on anything. And also, if you'd like to sponsor our podcast, uh, please email us at downrightcapable at gmail.com. And we truly appreciate your support in this endeavor. And it is our hope to uh, flip the script on how people view others with Down syndrome, or pe how others view people with Down syndrome. I'll get it right. Good to see you, Marla. Yeah, you too, Brian. Thanks. Have a good day, everyone.